0: But last week we were talking about how when what happens when you meet Jesus. Um, and so this week, as I was looking at the Christmas story, I wanted to talk about what happens when Jesus meets you. Um, when he came to earth, and, and the beauty, and the, the sacrifice, and the dedication that he had, and the love that he had for every single one of us. Uh, so this morning we're going to be in the book of Luke. Luke is predominantly the main story when people tell the Christmas story. If you make your children sit down before they open their presents and listen to the Christmas story, it's probably going to be out of the book of Luke. And the kids are dying there just like now, waiting to open their presents. Um, But the book of Luke is where we go. So we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 1, and then we're going to skip to Luke chapter 2 as well. So uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 14, this is what it says. There was in the days of Herod, a king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was one of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. These were blameless people who walked before the Lord righteously. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in age or in years, so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the customs of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he, was, when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. This is the story of the supernatural birth of John, John the Baptist, who is the cousin of Jesus and is born six months uh, roughly before Jesus. And if you fast forward through the story, you'll know Mary is going to... Learn uh, from Gabriel, the angel, that she's going to have a supernatural birth as well. Mary is about. 14 or 15 years old, and then she goes to see Elizabeth, and when she shows up and Elizabeth sees her, John, the, the baby in Elizabeth's stomach, actually jumps, and, and Elizabeth probably didn't appreciate that very much. If you had a baby and it did a flip inside of you, you, you know what I'm talking about, but Mary shows up, and then she sings this beautiful song, and then we get into Luke two as Mary has come to a time where she's going to have her baby, and this is what it says, and this is the Christmas story that all of us have known. And I love to hear it so many times. And it came to pass in those days that there was a decree that went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. This census took place while Canerius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to their own town. Joseph also went um, from Galilee to the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were complete for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings for and of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heaven, heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. Peace and goodwill towards men. And last week, as we talked about what happens when you meet God, this week I want to talk about what happens when God meets us. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the beauty of your Son who came um, because of the great love that you have. Lord, And I pray this morning that each one of us would look at the Christmas story, not in the way that we've heard with old eyes and with old ears, but with a new fresh vision of what you have for every single one of us. God, we believe that you speak and you move, and every time that we hear your word, that it can change our lives. So we expect that this morning, Lord, that you will come, Lord, that you are are ministering to our hearts, Lord, and and, uh, mending our souls, Jesus. And so we expect this, and we ask these things in your name, and everyone said, Amen. amen. Have you ever been wowed by a movie? Have you ever had a movie, and I'm not talking so much about the movies of today where we all know and we're all used to special effects, but more the movies of old. Like when you were back in the 80s or the early 90s when no one really knew too much about special effects and and things were just very new and, and, and it wasn't so normalized. Like the movie E.T. I remember what, growing up as a kid and seeing E.T. and being like, wow, that's a real alien. Or else it wouldn't be there on TV moving. Like this is unbelievable. Or, or the movie, there's a movie called A Fish Called Wanda, and there was this fish that was talking all the time, and it was like, oh my gosh, or Star Wars just blew everyone away, and it was this amazing uh, film, one that really stood out to me. I remember I was like six years old, and I I don't remember how I was with my grandma or my mom who loved watching uh, old movies, but uh, does anyone remember uh, Fred Astaire? Anyone know who Fred Astaire is? We had this movie called The Royal Wedding, and And in this movie, I mean, I'm six, I'm watching this movie and bored out of my mind because I'm a six-year-old and I want Mighty Mouse or Minnie Mouse or Mickey Mouse or somebody (laughs) whose name is a mouse. And, And all I've got is this guy in black and white film and he gets into the room and like most men, when they decide that they want to be really excited and they close themselves in the room, he starts dancing, like he just starts dancing all over this room, which to me it was really weird, but I guess that's what he would like to do. Spontaneous dancing and, and so I'm watching this sort of like dying and and then all of a sudden he's dancing on the wall. And as a six-year-old, I'm like, well, that's different. <laughs> how, did, how did that happen? Like, how is this guy dancing on a wall? If I dance in a room with the door shut, does it mean I get to dance on a wall? And then for, he goes from that to dancing on the ceiling. And you're like, oh, my goodness. Now, as a six-year-old, I'm totally into this, like, thinking, what in the world? And I remember, like, looking at it, and, and I didn't know about special effects. And I'm, like, looking, and I'm sort of, like, looking upside down. And I'm like, how, did, how did he do that? How do I do that? And, and so I'm looking at this, and, and I'm looking upside down, and all I can remember is, that's amazing. How did, he, how did he do that? And I think when we think about the Christmas story, it would be so powerful, and I think we should all look at the Christmas story, and while we looked at it, and as we reflected on it, I think we should all think in our minds, how, how, did, how did God do that? How in the world did he do this? And you look at the book of Luke and all of the Gospels. One of the major themes that we see throughout the life of Jesus is this idea of reversal. There's a song that I, uh, I know. It's a Christmas song. And it says, a baby changes everything. And, and it's not my favorite song of Christmas by, by any means. But it's true. The birth of Jesus, it flipped everything that we know on this earth on top of its head. It reversed everything. And the book of, in the Gospel of Luke, it really, it points to a new era where, where human evaluation on what is good and bad and, and what is right and what is acceptable and, and who should be acceptable, it all gets flipped upside down. It's reversed. The the idea of social definition, it gets turned on its head. And I think a lot of times we look at this Christmas story and we think, yeah, this is a great story. It's about God who came to earth. And, And that alone would be enough in of itself. Don't get me wrong. But I think that the Christmas story is about more than just that God came to earth. I believe that it's also about the way that he came to earth. That's what makes you say, how did he do that? I mean, if it was me... And I came to earth, you would all know how I did it because I would come on a flying carpet with a cape with about 50, 10 foot tall angels with fiery swords right behind me. And you'd all be like, okay, that's how he did it. But I'm not as smart as God. And so when it says that he came with a 14 year old no name mom, it doesn't make sense to me. When it says that he came in a feeding trough, that doesn't make sense to me. Why wouldn't you just come and be brought down in a stork or in an F-14 or F-16 and when you drop to the ground as a baby, you instantly turn to a 33-year-old man and get to do amazing things. I mean, that makes sense to me. Why not come in a way where you demand worship, that you demand respect, but God in his sovereignty, he comes as a baby to an insignificant 14-year-old girl who barely has a name. It really leaves, leaves the, the, the reader puzzled, thinking how, how, thinking why, God, why, why would you do that? And, and sometimes in this holiday spirit and with the holidays, uh, we have all this fun stuff and presents and food and family and Michael Buble and, and Christmas lights and, and eggnog for some of you. But I think sometimes we just lose the amazement of the Christmas story. We read things like wrapped in swaddling clothes and lay it in a manger. And when we think of a manger, we're like, oh, yeah, that's so, like, homey. And that's so great. And that's so sweet. And wood's in right now anyway. So we put it on the wall. And so Jesus did it, too. He's so hip. And, and we think, oh, this is so wonderful. And then you think swaddling clothes. You're like, oh, swaddling clothes are so nice and soft and warm and just got out of the, out of the, the dryer. And, and, oh, this is such a wonderful thing. But that's not... The truth of the situation. You look, this is a feeding trough that cows and pigs ate out of. This. There's no nostalgia there. <laughs> like, this is swaddling clothes. These are dirty, smelly rags that they had to wrap their baby in because they had nothing else. They had no choice. And so, looking at this scene, it's weird. It's odd. It's different. It's not what you would think. And you wonder, God, why would you come this way and i believe that the reason above all else that god came in the way that he did is because this is a story about reversal and jesus's birth opens up a brand new era where human expectation is reversed and the major theme of god's gospel in the book of luke is that the last the least and the lost would become the first the found and the foremost It's the story of reversal. And I just wanted this morning to talk about a couple of examples just from the story of Jesus that really point to this idea of the last is first and the first is last. And the first is, I want to consider the town where Jesus is born. Because Bethlehem, if you knew Bethlehem in the way that the people of the the ancient Far East knew Bethlehem, you'd be thinking, really? Bethlehem? That's where you want to be born. That's where you're going to start things. And you know, we sing songs about a little town of Bethlehem, how still we see the lie. The reason it was still was because it was a ghost town. Like in this place, nothing really good except for David and then Jesus. But at the time they didn't know that nothing good came out of Bethlehem. This is not some great um, destination point where you go because there aren't very many people go there. No one goes to Bethlehem. It was the least. It was the forgotten. It was the left behind. It's barely even mentioned in the New Testament because it was a forgettable place outside of the birth of Jesus. There's no major roadways. There's no commerce. There's no booming economy. And I think we have to understand when it comes to the place where Jesus was born, maybe that wouldn't be such a big deal today. But back then in the culture they lived in, where you were born determined your destiny it determined really what you could do your lineage and your heritage came from the place where you came from and so when you were born it spoke of what you could become but it also spoke of what you could never be and so if you were born on the wrong side of the tracks you were never getting to the right side there are no great awesome story where you just started from nothing and you grew up and became this amazing that didn't happen in Bethlehem that didn't happen in Judea that didn't happen when Jesus was born it was this is your lot in life and what God says is okay well my story is a story of reversal and so my son is going to be born in Bethlehem Jesus was born in Bethlehem to flip everything upside down which speaks to us today that if you put your faith in Jesus it doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your pedigree or who your mom or your dad was or if you have money or if you don't have money. When you put your faith in Jesus, he will reverse all social definitions, all social expectations, because Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and God is sending us a message in the way that God was born, that Jesus was born. I also want to consider the shepherds. Now, we think, because of nativity scenes, and because of, you know, lots of sermons that pastors talk about and stories that we see on TV, that shepherds are great. We think that shepherds are these wonderful, uh, selfless people that, you know, we love them, respect them. Jesus is likened to the good shepherd. And so to us, we think, wow, these are no- noble men. They're reputable men. These are nice people. But during the day, that is nothing even close to what shepherds were known as. In the social hierarchy of things, shepherds weren't even mentioned. They were completely unclean. The religious people would have seen shepherds as completely outcast from the rest of society. They, they weren't trustworthy. They weren't to be believed in. In fact, if you were to go to court and a shepherd was to testify, it would be thrown out because shepherds were not even allowed to give testimony in court no one believed him. If you were with a shepherd and somebody accused you while the shepherd was with you and you said, no, 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 I didn't do that. Look, this guy was here. You couldn't even say that because he's a shepherd. I mean, that's how little people believed him because they were liars. They were cheats. They were manipulators. I mean, they lived with sheep all day probably because that's all they could do. Yet, it's so interesting in the story that we see in Luke chapter 2, the first outside group notified of heaven coming to earth is the shepherds. I mean, it wasn't even the wise guys. And you even think about the wise guys just as a, a little bit of a side tangent. They came when Jesus was two. And you want to talk about knowing that Jesus is God? These men who are smart, who are wise, who have studied, and people actually said were intelligent, they worshipped a two-year-old. Now, you might have experienced a two-year-old. I know I've had a two-year-old, and I would never worship a two-year-old unless if that two-year-old was for sure the son of God. Like there's just no other way. So we know that this had to be. I mean, when I fall to my knees in front of a two-year-old, it's not because of I'm in I'm in awe, it's because I'm in exhaustion. Like this this is not somebody that should be worshiped, unless if it's God. But going back to the shepherds, heaven picks shepherds as his witnesses. Society said, Shepherds, you can't even give testimony in the court of law. However, God says, Oh yeah? Well, they're going to be the first witnesses to the most amazing, miraculous thing that will ever happen on this planet. I mean, you would think, like, can't we get somebody with honor or reputation? Hello, where are the princes? Where are the millionaires? Where are the powerful uh, politicians? You're really going to give me shepherds? Like, that's that's who you're going to give me? Like, they can't even verify this event. Like, this is crazy. God, what are you thinking? Uh, But God says, this is who I'm going to use because his story and his message is not about the norm. It's about going against the norm. It's about turning society and the thoughts and the ideas of what society says is acceptable on its head. You know, I love the the instruction that the angels give on identifying Jesus because basically the angel says, yeah, so the king's here. He's going to change the entire world like all of heaven is singing because of this. And this is amazing. And oh yeah, by the way, go to Bethlehem and he's going to be in a feeding trough with rags on top of him. And what do the shepherds say? They're like, okay, cool. <laughs> it's like, I love shepherds. Like, they're like, yeah, we'll go. We don't have anything better to do anyway. So whatever, we'll, we'll, we'll go check it out. But God, he includes shepherds. And the story is hinting to something because it's not just the fact that Jesus came, it's the way that he came. And first he comes to Bethlehem, and then he allows shepherds to be eyewitnesses to this amazing event. And God is telling us through the Christmas story that it is about reversing what we thought. Whether it be expectation, evaluation, or definition of what's okay. Last, I want to consider the woman who we started the story with, which is Elizabeth. And there's so many times where Elizabeth is not even included. Uh, Luke 1 is not even included in the Christmas story. But according to the Bible, it's actually before uh, Mary gives birth. And so this is truly part of the Christmas story. Luke actually starts with Elizabeth. And it clearly points out that both Elizabeth and her husband are blameless and righteous. Now, during the day, and even today, we would hear that and think, okay, great, so their life must be perfect. They're blameless, they're righteous, they've done everything right before the Lord, so everything must have worked out for them, right? But what we see in this story is what would be a cultural bombshell or a theological bombshell to anyone because it says that this couple is barren. And in an honor-shame society that they lived in, to be barren was a clear sign of spiritual punishment. It meant that God was punishing you for doing something wrong. And it's so sad that today we see the same thing in, in sermons and in theology, that if you do everything right, then everything in your life will be perfect. And if you have cancer, it's because you screwed up. Or if you have sickness, it's because you're being punished. And that's so inconsistent, not only with the Bible as a whole, but also with the Christmas story itself. Because Zacharias and Elizabeth are righteous but barren. And maybe you are here this morning and you're feeling barren. Maybe you're here and you're saying, I can fake it till I make it and I can put on a good smile and I can come do the church thing. But this is the most barren season of your life. And you're hurt and you're in pain Emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally. You're just feeling barren. Maybe you're holding it all in and because you know it's the Christmas sp- uh, season. John, if you could come up just as we close. Maybe it's just too awkward for you to talk about. And you're thinking, I got a report from the doctor and I know it's not good, but I'm just going to hold it all in until after the Christmas season. And then I'm going to talk about it with everybody. And you've done everything that you've known how to do. And you've believed and you've been a good person and you've been blameless and you've been reasonably righteous, but you're just barren. You're just hurting. You're thinking, is this God? Is he punishing me? Is this God? Is he judging me? Is this God because I don't have enough money to pay my bills or because I I am not able to do or, or have a baby or whatever it might be? And you're thinking, I'm barren, so I must have done something wrong. And God wants to tell you that that is not the Christmas story. Christmas story and and, and I can't I can't tell you that everything is always going to go well with you if you walk righteous and blameless before the Lord I don't have an answer on why that might be happening to you I can't even explain it but what I do know is when you look at the Christmas story that Elizabeth has a supernatural birth when things look barren where things look hopeless no matter how bleak or how barren your life seems the Christmas story speaks to the testimony of God's power where God reversed everything where God changed it all and I pray that as we go in this Christmas season that we wouldn't look at things the same way. The same way that God through the Christmas story said stop looking at the world and your circumstances in the way that you always had. Stop letting society tell you that you're less or you're least or that you don't count or you don't, no one cares about you. Because God changed everything when he came. And that's the story of Christmas. We have to look at Christmas with new eyes. Don't allow your mindset to stay the same this Christmas. Don't live in normality, but abnormality of the beauty of the story of Jesus coming to earth. Or social. Don't let social definition define your future or limited expectation determine God's purpose for you. Don't allow culture, cultural standards to limit the impact that your life will have. God's not done with you no matter what people have told you or what people look down on you with, God has an amazing plan to supernaturally take your barrenness and turn it into fruitfulness. And we as believers, we, we have to line up our faith with the Christmas story. Today, when you walk out of here, line up your faith with what the story tells us. Believe for Miracles. Believe in the supernatural. Believe that God can reverse the barrenness that you're feeling as you sit in that seat. That God can reverse any curse or anything that oppresses you. That God can do anything. Why? Because his son was born in Bethlehem. Because he used shepherds as eyewitnesses to his account. Because there is a 14-year-old no-name girl... Who, who covered Jesus in rags as a baby and light him in a feeding trough. And that became the king who influenced the world forever, changed everything. This is the message of Jesus. Don't leave here today with old expectations, with old social definitions. Those don't, those don't control you anymore. Those are not who you are. You are not a mistake. You are not a problem. You're not your past. Those things don't define you. God has a plan for you and he has a plan for your life. If you put your faith in Jesus, you are a new creation and Jesus, Jesus changes everything. Would you stand and pray with me?